This is a condition red situation. Janitor 1, interplanetary vehicle, calling Earth, calling Earth. This is Space Commander Tapeworm. I seem to have disappeared down a wormhole. Can you come in? Uh, Earth Station uh, receiving you, uh, Commander Tapeworm. Do you need assistance? Over. Definitely need assistance here. I'm out on some extravehicular activity in the outer cosmos and I found a certain number of unidentified dying formats having seriously interplanetary problems here, identifying A, language and B, origin. Um, some of them marked with serial numbers beginning with the FKR, which I kind of think is Finders Keepers Records that existed between the Earth years of 2005-2015. Phonographic proprietors said to be Messrs. Shipton, Voltel and Mitchell. Can you confirm? Affirmative. Owners of space, debris, present and correct. Over. Thank you, ground control. Um, I need um, positive IDs on um, sonic specimens as follows. Interplanetary Megadrial currently examining sonic specimens that sound like this. <laughs> Shipton and astronaut Votel are on the way with further assistance. Ignition sequence start. We're on our way, Janitor One. You are not to witness. The finders, finders, keepers, 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 history of music.
You are listening to 10 Years of Finders Keepers Records. I'm Pete Mitchell. We have Andy Votel and Doug Shipton. Some nice French space rock there from Gilbert Deflez. We spoke quite a lot about French space re- recently. Were they forerunners? I would believe that they were forerunners in the in the space race outside Not, of America and Russia. Well, they were involved from the early 60s, I think. Diamond was one of their early rockets around about 62, something like that. They certainly did a lot with literature, you know. With the, with, I mean, mm. they were way ahead with people like Stefan Wu and, and, and the stories that became fantastic planet and then you know the amazing comic book culture mm. with people like mobius drulier you know all them john claude forrest john claude forrest especially mm. yeah i yeah. mean barbarella you know all those those mm. french mm. things that's uh, amazing and a guy called enki bilal i mean a lot of these comic dudes were all um discussed readily on on a, on a radio show I mean, was it Bandazine? Is that how you say that? That comics in French? I'm, I'm, I probably got that wrong, but uh, yeah. it'll do for now. Yeah, the, the comic book culture was massive. I mean, Klaus Blask was from Magma, was a comic artist, a space-based mm-hmm. comic artist before Christian Vander founded that. Band. Why were the the French so good at it and so far ahead of that kind of aesthetic and the look and the style? Why, why, why them? I don't know. Gong, Magma, space mm-hmm. was big news over there. You know, mm-hmm. it was like Jean Jacques Perry. We always talk about. Him, but you know, his first record was uh, after his well, first of all, he did a, a sleep therapy record, but then he was straight into the space stuff, straight you know? there. Concrete, isn't it? Concrete's got a lot to answer for there, you know, that spatial music in mm. both senses mm. of the word. A lot of these comic dudes were discussed on a weekly basis on a radio show by a guy called Gilbert Deflez, and he was a, a presenter on Europe Number One, and he, he read his own stories online, and he reviewed comics, and various people would make music for him, and he'd, he'd, he'd play bits of Pink Floyd underneath it, and right. various... And so it was a bit of a far-out radio show. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. A bit of a far-out character, yeah. yeah, yeah. like a, a, comic, a comic... Just imagine him that, that in, in England. Oh, sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like the best radio show going. space comics every, every week. But eventually... Eventually, he had to get his own composer. He was a, he was a sensei, this guy, Gilbert Deathless, and he was a sensei at a local dojo. And one of the guys that came to throw him around the room was mm. a guy called Jackie Chalard, who was famous for being in a band called Dynasty Crisis. So they got together and they went to the heads of Pathé and said, we want to do a conceptual record, which is nothing short of a sci-fi version of Histoire de Melody Nelson. Mm. How long did we get into the show without me mentioning Serge Gansborg? <laughs> You've been quite slow off the uh, out the traps today. It's normally it's in, in, in the first... It was like an itch. First 30 seconds, generally. This was... Um, Quite an obscure record, which mm. came out with a little novella, and it was uh, it was a it was a it was a beautiful thing. Had a spare copy of Gansborg's La Horse, which is no mean feat, and it was quaking in its boots, sat on my shelf, almost attracting scratches and right. DJ abuse. Right. And I needed to get let it go, so I traded it with with a, a bunch of of concept records with a French dealer, and this was one of them. Mm. And me and Doug dropped the needle and went through it and listened to it, and we. We lost our minds, didn't we, Doug? And we got on the first Eurostarter 
to, to Paris <laughs> and went to meet this old rock and roller who was who, who was Jackie Shallard from Dynasty Crisis. Well, yeah, and also being big fans of Dynasty Crisis for so long as well. I think we'd been trying for a good f- couple of years already to put our mark on on a, on a Dynasty Crisis release, yeah. but uh, without success. But uh, yeah, to finally pin him down and get over there. What was he like, he, this guy? Was he a, a real character? When it, was he old with white hair? He was like Ted from um, Heidi High. I was, yeah. <laughs> Ted Bovis. Yeah, that's actually the best description. Oh, yeah. oh, that's so disappointing. I thought you could walk into this sort of capsule with a space cadet there. Listen, and it, oh. if Ted Bovis had, 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 had big, big Mike Reed shades on, a tight leather jacket and spoke in a French accent, he'd be the coolest guy yeah, you I know. Knew. He'd be the right. coolest guy you know. You win. He was the yeah. You win. Complete with uh, an ex-Moulin Rouge dancer on his arm as oh, well. The lovely Lynn. This is yeah. amazing. Lynn and she she's English. So she was the lubrication, wasn't she, for the situation. She was really helpful. That's right. Yeah. And th- what was great as well. Now, this is something that we get with Finders Keepers artists every now and then. Bruno Spoeri being no exception. He's also a massive record collector. Mm. Dynasty Crises. Right. Jackie Shallard runs a company. I think it might be called Big Beat. Is that right, Doug? Something along those lines, yeah. And he's a record dealer. So straight away we had stuff to talk about. He was well into the, you know, he's got the bug. He's Mm. got it bad. So, you know, he understood the vibe and he helped us out. And and then we, uh, and that's what happened. Mm. Another great relationship. Also an interesting counterpoint to that meeting was inadvertently the the launch of Cash Cash as well. Uh, Or it was instrumental, uh, one of our, our side labels because the second release that actually happened to appear on that label was also another Jackie Shallard record. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because we, yeah, there was other see, Dynasty Crisis are an amazing group, you know, they've not like Triangle and Martin Circus, they were one of those progressive pop bands they used to back Michelle Polnareff didn't they on his uh, I think they went to went to Japan and backed him on the Japanese tour but they were big but Life After Dynasty Crisis included Jackie's solo career which was kind of like a really early exponent of French disco really mm-hmm. or or that that kind of rock disco that you get from early Goblin or Polish bands like Art Life you know using you know it was that that live disco rock sound really really yeah. good so we pretty much set up a label on the back of this track called Superman Super Cool uh, which was our cash cash imprint mm. so yeah so if you want disco and things slightly moving to the 80s bits of punk that's uh, Cash Cash is uh, available, willing and ready for birthdays, bar mitzvahs and a total different show of its own. But yeah, nothing short of a sci-fi, fantastic sort of concept album, like mm. I mentioned earlier, similar to like a sci-fi version of Melody Nelson. And that was a really early exponent of that, which we, it was great for us to put a flag in that. But mm. but we were well tuned to that sound anyway at that time, which brought us on to the next project, which is something we've been musing about for years. And it finally came to fruition. Uh, another French record, another fantastic record, which sounded a lot like this. Ten years at Finders Keepers Records, making old records feel young.
You're listening to 10 Years of the Finest Keepers Record label. This is part three with Annie Votel, Doug Shipton, I'm Pete Mitchell. Uh, you know, how many years have the label been going at, at this point? You're looking well organised. You've got a lot of releases under your belt. This, this is around about the nearly <laughs> heading to the 50 mark or something like that. How are we going to quantify this? I suppose if you were. It's a difficult one, yeah. I suppose if you're going to take everything we've done thus far, everything we've done up until 2016, the record we're talking about now hit the 40% mark. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, okay. So. Put that in your calculator and poke it. So what do you reckon, Doug, about, about around about this period? Is this organisation, I know you, I, to say you were well-oiled is the worst description of finders keepers. But He's usually well-oiled. Yeah, yeah, but you're, you're, you're well on your way. You're, you know, you're fairly established, would you say, by this point in, in the label? Definitely say so. I think we, we'd gone from kind of these three chances who kind of figured we'd sort of put a few records out, see if we can make a go of it, to sort of move it from strength to strength and we could sort of chance our arm at, at a few more kind of risque, a few more personal projects. And mm-hmm. I guess this is sort of where we moved into our um, our twilight period for soundtracks in particular. We felt a lot more comfortable working, having sort of dipped our toe in with Stone, Valerie, which were all very important records. All well received us. as well, weren't they? So you're okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. And, and now we were just sort of pushing that envelope a bit further and uh, I guess if we'd have had many meetings as we used to over a, a cuppa or a pint in the early days and even broached the subject of something as uh, risque as John Rollin we'd have probably been quite nervous about it I guess really? Yeah, I, I can understand what you're saying there, Doug. I mean, it was definitely, you know, we, we I, I, I suppose at this point then, Pete, we were confident enough to really tap into some of our dream releases, you know. Yeah. I mean, we'd, we'd, we'd... That was all always about the label. It was what you liked first and foremost, then you moved on and got the thing out. I, I mean, every single release yeah. is pretty much how do you follow Jean-Claude Vanier. A hard act, a tough act to follow, being yeah. the first release. But we're in a good zone, you know. I mean, I suppose... When we did tap into the French erotica thing, which is the, which is the, with the John Rollins stuff, it was almost like in an un-PC world as well. I mean, John Rollins a really difficult guy to understand. Testimony to the fact it's something we, we'd considered for a long time, but it was hard to get to John Rollins if you were a man. We- <laughs> right, OK. We had a good friend of ours in Paris called Sharon Shazula, and I came up with the idea to say, I wonder if, if Sharon goes round to his house and knocks on his door because she has got a vampirella vibe right and she's you know she's tall stunning you know uh, it it might just sort of make things happen might turn his head you mean he did turn his head and he was and straight away he said I'll do it if you star in my next film (laughs) (laughs) did he? he did yeah I mean you know that's a great story John Rollin Michelle Gentil under his many different names and guises, he's gone from making art house to theatrical films mm. to straight up porn. But the thing is, it's like the stories, you know. So I'd get on the phone to him, and we'd, we'd you know, on a weekly basis, and say, "Tell me more about this. Tell me more about Acanthus. Tell me." And and there was this. The best soundtrack by Jean Rollin is Frizz on the Vampires, The Shiver of the Vampires, mm. and it sounds like early Gong, Stroke, Amy Son, like French. 
kids improvising. So you're flipping out over this this discovery. Uh, whatever I, I mean, is. I saw this film when I was when I was 17 years old, 16, 17 years old, yeah. and it was just like the music stuck with me forever and ever. So it was like Rollin was giving nothing away. He was just saying these kids they just turned up on the day and then they went. They liked comics and then they disappeared. Mm. And this this wasn't this wasn't this true. Case. This wasn't the case. No, and and I suppose the detective work around this was incredible because it turned out to be a group that also went by the name of Unity. And if you'd have told me and Doug that we were already spinning two tunes by the same band on uh, every weekend in clubs around the world, right. which was a Jimi Hendrix ripoff and a track called Rolling Ten Years or Rolling Five Years, which kind of gave the game away a little bit, you, we would have been very surprised. The band were signed to Pathé as well, similar to Def Les, mm. but they never they never got a record out. Yeah, they had a deal and they mm. did an album produced by Emperor Roscoe. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. A, 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 amazing a, amazing album called Tri Faces. And they have recorded to... in Paris. Recorded in Paris. Oh, yeah, he yeah. did. He lived, he lived, I think his father was buried. Michael Pasternak was his dad, wasn't he? Filmed yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the happy story is, in recent years, we've actually tracked down that. So wow. so with with the help of a guy called Al- Alan LeBon, who, uh, you know, was quite instrumental to the further Acanthus story. But mm. but this was the opening of our John Rollins John Rollin stuff. It must be mentioned that there was a guy called Peter Blumenstock as well, who 10, 15 years before the formation of Finders Keepers, he did uh, a couple of CDs on his Lusitola label. Uh, one was the films of Jess Franco, which later became repressed by Cripple Dick Hot Wax under the name Vampire Ross Lesbos, mm-hmm. and uh, the films of Jean Rollin, and he just pressed 500 to 1,000 of them. It takes someone like Finders Keepers to put something in a different a different context and yeah. you know press it onto vinyl yeah. and then find the extra tracks and i suppose at that point the sort of detective work really kicked in and we're still obsessed we're still digging Indeed. digging the rolling and that's why we're still here talking about it with a great deal of enthusiasm yeah i mean this isn't ancient history this is only five or six years ago mm. you know but you know nowadays the idea of setting up a hot a, a, a vinyl record label that releases horror music is almost like commonplace mm. but six years ago we, we we were doing this you know we were releasing these rolling soundtracks the death les thing and then we went straight back to the czech vault and came up with saxana which was kind of like all this was like horror soundtracks unreleased stuff coming from very different places you know from from obscure oblique mm. angles yeah. not that not not your video nasties just a different whole take on the horror genre let's play some saxana and then we'll talk more about this uh, astonishing artiste. Ten years of Finders Keepers Records, an alternative history of music.
You're listening to 10 Years of Finest Keepers Records. This is part three. Saxana, which I'm very familiar with. It's, it's hard for me to judge how important, you know, release by release is, but I take it that Saxana was quite an important find project, uh, the whole aesthetic and everything. Am I right, Doug? Well, yeah, I think um, after the, I'd say, modest success of Valerie, but sort of obviously the personal triumph of it, it was um, insanely humbling to essentially be given the keys to the kingdom, as it were, from Barandov, um, and just to be able to have access to all these amazing soundtracks for these films that we were big, big fans of, and basically liberate them from mm. the proverbial can. And, well, uh, you, are, you are sort of vinyl liberators, not vinyl, but music liberators, aren't you, in a way? Or Come somewhere between liberation and stalkers. We're liberators <laughs> and stalkers. <laughs> well, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps, Pests. yeah. There have been people on the label who've said, listen, you've asked me over 50 times now and I've yeah. said no. Yeah. So, Leave you know, me alone. <laughs> what do I have to do? And I'm just like, say yes. Yeah. Go, All right. Tell me a bit about Saxana. Saxana. Well, we'd been given one of the keys to the castle at, 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 the, at the film studio. It was not to say that every uh, soundtrack that they were ever involved with existed on magnetic tape. Far from it. I right. mean, you know, there was certain things that needed extra. Where chance. did they exist? Just on film. A lot of the some time. of them just on film. Some of them studio tapes. It's you know, it's it's amazing. Really. And what would they generally do with film soundtracks anyway? Would it would there be a, a mix, an audio mix of things? How does it was it? Does, does it, it no, followed no pattern. You can count Czech soundtracks on one hand historically. The right. state never really wanted to make composers famous. You know, they didn't want they didn't want composers. You wouldn't get like a, you know the idea of John Barry getting in a limo with Jane Birkin at the end of the night. That thing doesn't exist. Right. It didn't exist. That's a different in, in world. The East. Yeah. yeah, you know, it was a working man in a suit. You know. All these people, Michelov, Lishka, Pfizer, they were, that's that's you know, they were working men, yeah, yeah, like Korzynski from Poland. So, you know, they were had no interest in making superstars out of film composers. Doesn't quite work. So, the elements the you're looking system. for if you try to track down a soundtrack would be A, is there a tape of it? Yeah, if there's not, then you go to the film, yeah, and try and get the best copy of, yeah. <laughs> of a yeah. print. The thing, what you've got to understand is we went what happens when those two things fail, is it over? It kind of game over, but then right. the thing, well, something very interesting interesting that there's a lot of cross-continental productions as well so when someone like Vera Hitalova who made Daisies she got in such there was such controversy about Daisies that she wasn't allowed to make films but when a small company in Belgium was obsessed with her work they mm. came to the Czech government and said you know we're willing to fund this and get involved the Czechs banned so many films in Czechoslovakia but once they realized that England or America or the West was interested from a voyeuristic political point of view, mm. they'd make loads of money of exporting stuff. So the stuff that they made in Czechoslovakia wasn't allowed to be shown in Czechoslovakia, but was making them loads of money all around right. the world. Okay. So sometimes you'd have to look at ex-Czechoslovakian film companies because a lot of the times the tapes would go abroad to a different to a different company. So there was co-productions. Mm. So mm. it isn't game over. Mm. You know, sometimes there's there's still there's still life there and the stuff that we're working on now. But the beauty is we went to Barandov with this big sort of proposal about the Czech New Wave and the importance of the of the Czech film miracle and how, you know, a lot of these political allegories should now be given new life via the medium of vinyl and music. And then as soon as they gave us the keys to the castle, we just started asking them for More. family films yeah. and, like, yeah. comedies and stuff like that. Because Saxana is not a political allegory. It's right. not a, a Czech New Wave film. 
it's like a 70s sort of like take on Harry Potter, which and, and for me and Doug, we just looked at each other and just went, well, you know, she's a witch like Valerie. She's got red hair like Valerie. This is like a kid's version yeah, of yeah, Valerie in yeah. a week it'll of do. wonders. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it was not, it, it'll do. It's like, it's amazing. Please, mm. can we have it? And I remember me and Doug in my lounge and Dom, sitting next to the TV with our ears close to the TV because we knew the incidental music was under there somewhere. And it was like, is that a bass line? Mm. Is, that, is that a drum break? And it's like, we didn't know. So when we got the transfers and everything was turned up and the dialogue dropped out, because you never know what's going to be under there. You never know what's going to be on that tape. And there was the count-ins and the various sound effects. It was an amazing moment, you mm. know. Mm. And it's probably one of the first forays into sort of family kids cinema that we, 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 we got involved in. I mean, there's plenty of plans to do do more stuff like that but you know it was a totally untapped world if right. Chet New Wave was a niche this was like the post CNW stuff so 10 years of Finders Keepers records what we're going to play next Doug uh, keeping with the um, the Czech theme and running in chronological order, next up was uh, The Little Mermaid, Malamorska Vila, which I guess would have come back from, from Barandov around the same time as Sexana, so sort of naturally sort of followed it. But uh, much like Andy was just saying, it kind of fell out of the, the Czech new wave scene but had all the hallmarks of a, of a classic Czech soundtrack. There was a tiny bit of allegory in there if I'm not mistaken Andy but it was pretty true to Hans Christian Andersen's original Little Mermaid so let's hear it I mean, we must have talked about this before, but when you get tapes back, you might be watching a film and thinking, I wonder what the rest of that incredible dis disco scene music's like. Yeah. And then you get the tapes and it's like 32 seconds yeah, long. Yeah, well, they're because they've, written, that, yeah, they've yeah. written to cue. Holy Mountain's like that. Mm. You know, the tapes for Holy Mountain have this amazing tune called um, Rock and Roll Rifles, and it's as long as the scene. It just it's ends. One more. Yeah, there's no, it's not, yeah, it's not like a... Some yeah. of it sounds like a 50-minute prog jam. Yeah. It isn't. Uh, but, I mean, sometimes outtakes and stuff exist, 
you know, sometimes that does exist. I suppose you have to go with the budget and the importance of the film at the time. I mean, Malamorska Via was a, a surefire bet at the cinemas. You know, a, 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 you know, The Little Mermaid was like huge, and this was like. It, it starred Yaroslava Shalarova, who was the Valerie actress. Uh, it also uh, it had the cameraman from Daisies, um, Yaroslav Kuchera, who was like the best mm-hmm. cameraman. And then it had Esther Kumbrakova, who was like, you know, the the signature milliner set designer from the whole Czech New Wave. Any Czech New Wave film you've seen with amazing clothes, mm-hmm. scenery, mm-hmm. Kumbrakova's had something to do with it. And she was banned at this time, yeah, yeah. so she had to do it under a different name. But it's got like the best people so you could tell and and Lishka obviously the composer this was a star-studded cast and crew which obviously allowed for amazing things to happen on the master tapes you know they, they sometimes things are just written to cue because they've got mm. a day to work on it like I say treasures untold yeah, uh, does it necessarily mean the more money it was spent on the production the better quality things generally were or is that not the case no it was the best most luxurious studio in the world Everything out there was better because it, the man on the street couldn't have money, but the state-owned company right, right. so they had the best studios yeah. and a history. Best, in, mus- best, best musicians, musicians, best cinematographers. Where do people go for for, for strings? Mm. Prague, you know, it's like yeah, this. Yeah. This is it was. So there's nothing primitive of the way they made these things oh my God. at all. Well, Stan Brakic was working in New York, an experimental film maker, you know, developing his own thing, cross-processing and paying his way. When he met people in Czechoslovakia who were doing the same thing, the Czechs were funded by the state. So everyone thought it was going to be a great meeting of the minds, but Brakic hated the fact that the, the, the people in social Czech, socialist Czechoslovakia mm. were, were, were getting everything funded for them. So yeah. it was a good place to be, but as long as you didn't speak your mind. <laughs> well, as long as you don't speak your mind. Hence you know. the kind of content of movies and television programmes they yeah. were. There yeah. was no political message, or was, unless it was subliminal. Well, after, after the Prague Spring, and yeah. in, in 1970, they destroyed loads of films. Loads of films were aborted oh. and finished, and you couldn't, you couldn't, you could, there's a lot of stuff that you couldn't watch and a lot of stuff that was banned. And that's where, like Doug said, the story of The Little Mermaid is probably going to be deemed as a family favourite, you know, no problem there, we'll, we'll let them get on with yeah. it. But the allegory of the people that lived under the sea, and once you leave, leave the sea, yeah. you know... and It's the a colours, political system. Yeah, oh, absolutely, <laughs> you know, it couldn't be more <laughs> allegorical, you know, yeah. it, was, it, was, it, was, it was huge. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's well, also a very radical feminist manifesto, The Little Mermaid. Yeah. And in, in, the, in the film, you know, where the tail gets split and the whole, yeah. the whole thing, and then, and then as soon as she succumbs to... Man, mm. everything's over. But Zendet Liska, the man they picked for the job, it was one of his early forays into electronic music. Possibly one of the first in a Czech soundtrack, would you say? Uh, what, what, Icar- uh, where Icarus. did this fall with Icarus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I- Icarus, Icarus is an absolute milestone, mm. and hopefully you, you'll be hearing that name again in if you uh, buy Finders Keepers records. Liska was the kind of guy who would change the polarity of someone's film. If he went in and he didn't like what the director was doing, he would sample running water or footsteps and onto tape, and that's how he would build his soundtracks. You know, if something was slightly mundane, you know, he could turn a bir- he could add brooding m- music to a, a birthday party scene and totally change the polarity of the mm. film. And everyone in everyone in, in the Barandov system or the, or the Czech film system respected that and let him do what he wants. So he was a very important guy. We also released uh, the Cremator uh, shortly after this which was another one of his absolute milestone 
releases. This was the time in Finders Keepers where we were kind of like, I mean, not overconfident, but just, just you know, You're getting there. We, we realised we, yeah. we had rete- we had repeat customers. You know, yeah. you know, people were coming back and kind of trusting, and they weren't people looking for funky breaks or or big drum beats or fuzz guitar. I mean, they'd buy the Little Mermaid. I mean, at this stage, we're almost doing back-to-back soundtracks, which was which is a risky thing to do. We would never have set up Finders Keepers as a soundtrack label. We didn't want to be demoted to downstairs at HMV where no one ever goes. The soundtrack section, the only other soundtrack label which we were really digging at the time was was our friend Johnny Trunk, who was managing to do a lot of soundtrack stuff, but that wasn't our intent. Uh, Without even thinking about it, we went straight into the music of Ilya Raja, you know, which was uh, was definitely steeped in the Hollywood film industry. After repeatedly watching one clip of (laughs) of an Ilya Raja... Mm, mm. Without knowing it was Ilya Raja, though, as well, I think, because he was was a known entity, I, I think... To be fair, yeah. uh, among sort of Western diggers or non non Tamil or Bollywood diggers, I mean, at this stage, Doug just bowled straight into the detective work. With that came Sola Sola. <laughs> Benjamin Dream, 
This is the third instalment of 10 Years of Finders Keepers Records. I'm Pete Mitchell. We have Andy Votel and, uh, of course, uh, Commander Doug Shipton. So, Pete, what did you make of that? That Amazing was uh, Ilya Raj uh, with Sola Sola, probably yeah. the best-known track, uh, a real YouTube special. Oh, it was viral, uh, for, wasn't it? For many yeah. years. Was it? Yeah. I guess we've done quite a lot of talking about him in the electro, uh, in a synthesizer show. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, having known of this, this mysterious, campy, insane well, I always assumed to be a Bollywood track for years. And a friend of mine by the name, a director friend of mine by the name of Tom Haynes, went on holiday to southern India with his girlfriend and bought back a grip of records. And in there was this seven-inch uh, by a chap named Delia Raj. Now, obviously, off the back of the recent Lollywood releases with Sound of Wonder, the I, I was really interested in, in any and all seven-inch Bollywood Hollywood records and sort of reading through all the fine print uh, came across his name, uh, Ilya Raja, which uh, didn't really ring any bells. I, I couldn't honestly recall having come across any of his other soundtracks. How surprised I was then to go online and just find this canon, this prolific canon of work by possibly one of, or the most famous uh, Southern Indian film composers and just unraveled this this whole scene, this previously unknown to me scene of Hollywood cinema. I mean, he was nothing short of the of the Tamil Morricone, but I think, I mean, I, I had the Solo Solo film on a DVD and to me, I just, I, I'd read about the guy and it seemed like totally unpenetrable, you know. He was like, you know, this it's speaking to, he's like speaking to Elvis. I think we hadn't even thought about releasing Bollywood Records. Records. To me, Bollywood Records had been a sewn-up entity. If it wasn't for Chris Menist coming along and having found the people who own the Pakistani stuff, mm. had, would it have given me and Doug the the bravery or the impetus to dive into it? And Doug pretty much, you know, I had a bunch of sevens, Doug, Doug had a bunch of sevens. I think it was Doug spending countless nights trying to find an inroad mm. that eventually made this happen. Yeah, it was, I think it, it, I ended up having to go to Chennai via Malaysia to track the guy down, um, considering he's probably one of the biggest, uh, as Andy says, like the Morricone of Hollywood cinema. It was just simple to, to get anywhere near the guy. And it was through a Malaysian entrepreneur who was um, a very big fan. And uh, the rest is history, yeah. so to say. as mm. we've, we've now countless Ilya Raja records in the catalogue and on the way we've got quite a few still yeah. sort of on the books More waiting to, come. To, to drop yes yeah. oh yeah plenty of skeletons fell out of that cupboard <laughs> yeah. Bloody hell. he was usually prolific as well wasn't he I don't think you would discuss that he was like he was doing a lot wasn't he you know this kind of he's the kind of guy that is like his name went above the, the principal actress and actor 
or director. You know, mm -hmm. Ilya Raja was the main star of the show at, at all given time. One man band. Bollywood had like a huge 60 piece orchestra at their control. Lollywood had like five piece with a couple of synths. Ilya Raja was a one man band. Mm -hmm. You know, tape loops, primitive sampling, eventually got a DX7 Yamaha keyboard. Because this is kind of in the 80s, this, mm. this is happening. He took that Duran Duran sounding machine <laughs> and used it on every single record next to vocal and string samples from the 50s. So, I mean, this guy is like not too dissimilar from Jean-Pierre Massiera, mm -hmm. you know. Well, on that Lishka tip as well, um, remember he, he also brought stereo to Indian cinema. I've always thought he was doing something close to 200 scores a year, one every couple of days, an entire score. People around him, like K.S. Chitra and S. Janaki, if you look at their Wikipedia pages, you'll find out they've done thousands, mm. been, been on mm. thousands of records, mm. you know. One thing that I will say, it's difficult to find a Tamil Hollywood record that Ilya Raj wasn't involved yeah, in. So Do you know what I mean? Ninety-nine point nine percent of things. When I find Tamil records and Ilya Raj is not, I just go, "It's Ilya Raj, right?" And they go, "No." I'm just like, "Really? Let's have a look at that." Yeah. If it's something that's not Ilya Raj. I'm more mm. surprised. Mm. You know, I think Doug was brave to to throw himself into that licensing issue. I mean, up until that point, we just had lots of mm. Ilya mm. Raj records, yeah, yeah. but to have a contact with with you know, it's like speaking to the Wizard of Oz. It's yeah. just like, wow, yeah. you know. Yeah. So we did it, and I know other people. Were trying to do it at the time and a lot of respect for them mm. you know that you know we didn't know then but you know a few people were obviously yeah we, the guys we famous them to it as well yeah, they've been yeah. working a lot longer yeah. on theirs than we had ours but exactly. um at that, i think we sort of like just after that we were just about to put our feet up and there was pretty much no way we were going to open another can of worms and start delving straight into mm. other foreign speaking micro genres but along came chris menist and did it for us with mm. his friend Maft Sai and said, do you want to release some Thai records? And as a return customer, visitor, helper, saviour, Chris and ourselves came up with tie-dye. <laughs> ไม่ยังไม่ยืนขึ้นขึ้นลงลงบางคืนแต่เย็นไปลงผ่อนแดงขอบฟ้าไม่แดงก็ไม่ยอมลงถึงใครจะห้ามมันก็ไม่ฟ
ึ้นขึ้นลงลงลงลงขึ้นขึ้นไม่ยังไม่ยืนขึ้นขึ้นลงลงไอ้อย่างที่สามเลวสามรายกาดมันขึ้นขวดปลาดขึ้นแล้วไม่ลงทําไมจึงขึ้นขึ้นจริงไม่รู้ได้แต่ยืนดูเห็นขึ้นจงจงรู้หรือเปล่าว่าคืออะไรรู้หรือเปล่าว่าคืออะไรก็สินค้าเมืองไทยละขึ้นไม่ยอมลงขึ้นขึ้นลงลงลงลงขึ้นขึ้นไม่ยังไม่ยืนขึ้นขึ้นลงอย่างที่สามเลวสามรายกาดมันขึ้นพวดพลาดขึ้นแล้วไม่ลงทำไมจึงขึ้นขึ้นจริงไม่รู้ได้แต่ยืนดูเห็นขึ้นจงจงรู้หรือเปล่าว่าคืออะไรรู้หรือเปล่าว่าคืออะไรก็สินค้าเมืองไทยละขึ้นไม่ยอมลงไอ้ folks we are celebrating 10 years of finders keepers records from the compilation tie dye ta you see there's this problem musical tourism and this was a word that had started cropping up now because a lot of reissue labels were saying we're going to do a thai go go compilation or we're going to do like a singapore mm. funk and you know A lot of them cases, you know, th th there was a lot of music in them countries, and it was a case of getting off a plane, almost like going to your local charity shop and releasing, like, you know, a bunch of ABBA-style records. Right. It was just the exoticism. People liked that. Now that wasn't how Finders Keepers were gonna roll. If we wanted to get in involved in, like, you know, Thai records, we wanted to know the deepest Thai records. You know, something which was. Quite amazing. Well, I think, yeah, this is the, the thing with a lot of the compilations that had been kind of creeping out of the east as well. They were based around one or two killer tracks, mm. and they didn't have a great sort of depth of knowledge, which is where Chris came in uh, yeah. and and shone basically, much in the same way he'd done with bringing us the 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 seeds for Sound of Wonder. With with the, with the Lollywood stuff previously, these are records that we knew and loved. But Chris had found the people, which afterwards, you know, that's amazing to do. That's a mm. that is the hardest part of the job. Yeah, Anyone sure. with a credit sure. card can buy records. Go on eBay, yeah. buy a bunch of records, set up a label, do some DJ mixes. That 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 nowadays is easy. But Chris found people. But when he found Maft Sai, this guy who had a record shop in Thailand, he was bringing back. Thai versions of records that ripped off Black Sabbath riffs, like the one that we just heard, including massive breakbeats in the middle, and mm. it was like, this is a no-brainer, dude. It's just like, this is amazing. And luckily, all the best to him. He man Chris has since managed to set up a label which specialises in just this. Paradise Bangkok is one of our favourite reissue labels. It's dedicated to one type of music, one country, which is something which I don't always agree with. Mm. But he does it with such a plum that he just like, dude, mm. you know, 
amazing. He's an amazing character. There's not many people within Finders Keepers that we we rarely need to bring in anyone to, to compile with us. We, we you know not because we're elitist. Not because we're elitist. It's just that we, we've mm. already got a list of you know Doug's got. 20 records lined up that he wants to reissue. I've got another 20 that I want to reissue. You know, it's just like we've all, we haven't, we don't really think we've got time. But mm. when you put a black, a, a, a version of a, bla- a Thai version <laughs> yeah. of Iron Man in front of us, what are mm. we going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, what more can we say apart from bringing out the, the I Love Chris Menace badges? I, I believe you can connect tie dye to the next release, Kyber Mail, Doug Shipton. Yeah, as we heard all through the catalogue, it's no accident that it, the next catalogue number. Also happens to be one uh, that we worked with Mr. Chris Menist on. Uh, harking back to our EMI Pakistan collection, this is an album by a chap named Sohal Rana. Apologies for my pronunciation, as All right. per usual, called Kyber Mail, uh, which is a concept record of sorts, which placed next to the almost exclusive uh, soundtrack Seven Inches that were coming out of EMI at the time, is an even rarer beast, a concept record. And, well, to my mind, it's the only one I'm aware of. Andy, do you know any others? I hardly know any any Pakistani 12-inch records, to be honest. I mean, this was basically... You could liken this to one of those documentary programmes like um, Michael Palin patronises Eastern Europe <laughs> or, something, or something like that. It's a groundbreaking and bizarre 1969 motorit concept album about a Pakistani freight train journey from Karachi to Peshawar with electronic keyboard and sitar-driven patchwork pop combining Sindh and Punjab folk with a Western beat. Ten years of Finders Keepers Records, an alternative history of music. Listening to 10 Years of Finders Keepers Records from the compilation Kyber Mail. And that was Sol Sitar. Good. By Sol Al Rana. 
this is one of the rare cases with Finders Keepers where it was it was an existing rare record as much as a dance floor filler. It had already been released on a seven inch. It had been bootlegged actually, and for one of the first times in our life, one of the first times in our life, the licensee asked us to approach the person who'd, <laughs> really? who'd bootlegged it. Right. It happened with Urson as well a few years before, and but the thing is. These perpetrators were kind of our friends, do you know what I mean? Because yeah. there's a weird hinterland with reissuing where, you know, between Ultimate Breaks and Beats, something like the Folk Funk Experience, Nuggets of Funk, Finders Keepers, and then putting a bit of a, a weird situation there where we were sort of like, you know, we were we were asked to sort out legal battles with some people <laughs> in our own our own circle. Mm. It all ended up nicely. Kybermel was was like a classic but almost unobtainable collectible record mm. you know uh, we'd done we'd spent a lot of time releasing unreleased master tapes and stuff like that but then we were sort of like you know back in record fair mentality i think that's the time me and doug started going to utrecht and shopping in slightly different ways one record that we used to see on the wall all the time was this big green crocodile it was a spanish record called fusion and we thought since we already had a good relationship with belter records in spain maybe we should uh, we should we should liberate this one and let that little crocodile Scoring <laughs> into the record collections of, uh, of DJs. Someone like Gareth Cherrystones had already been playing one of the tracks off there quite a lot, you know, and he'd made that work quite well. So why don't we just go through all the singles, the three albums, and put together the definitive Fusion Spanish Catalan psych prog goblinized masterpiece, which was Absolute Fusion. <laughs> Thank you. 
another Finders Keepers treasure. We're listening to 10 years of the label. Uh, this is part three. Uh, we're going to move on to Gagusha. We, we've talked a lot and played a lot on our, on our regular radio shows. If you're just hit, hearing this in isolation, then I'd like to discover more of the shows. There's been Kraut Rock specials and jazz and folk and all. Have we done a folk one yet? We're, Not done a folk no. one yet. No. We're, no. we're going to get around to it. But the, you know, there's other available and we have, Gagushi's talked about a lot and we had uh, Masser on uh, our Christmas show who uh, had a lot to do with getting this record together. Am I all right? No, Instrumental. No. Instrumental. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you you can see now by this stage of the label it's really becoming a family you know as well as me and Doug and Dom who was still around at the time you know I think Chris and Massa were like the two extra detectives you know detectives yeah. is a good yeah, one yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So. the two extra prongs on our fork yeah, yeah. strings to your violin <laughs> mm, yeah I mean again it was a language barrier when we did Jean-Claude Vanier, we, we, we had a house full of French records and I could recognise the word for drums on the, re- on the back of it. <laughs> that was about it, you good. know what It's a good mean? start, though. Yeah, it's a yeah, start. Yeah. I but couldn't. Psh- yeah. Thai, yeah, like yeah. you know, Difficult. Ir- Ir- Iranian. I mean, I-, I hasten to add, I didn't even understand the political climates of a lot of these places. You know, it was just like it, it was finders keepers and records in general have taught me everything that I never wanted to know about politics, cooking, and all these things. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it was just and and a good education. It, but but it's, but the fantastic stories that were learning mm-hmm. through vinyl was was mm-hmm. you know better than learning how to do smoke rings to yeah. thirty years earlier. Yeah. So it's yeah, but Massa was part of like had family as part of a, a wider Iranian community in in Los Angeles. You mm. know. We did the Pomegranates record, uh, but I, at that point, just got a bit more obsessed with Gagouche. A friend of ours, Rasha, she went to Tehran, and I said, uh, just listen, if you see any vinyl, I don't care what it is, the labels look like this, bring some back. And she said, well, what about cassettes and other formats, albums? I said, if there's any albums, get me albums. Well, get me some cassettes, just get me bits of gagouche. And she bought me, you know, half of them were great, half of them were crap, half of them were cracked. I'd just learnt to drive at the time, I had a cassette player in my car. Mm. So I was listening to these gagouche records. And one track stood out in particular, and it was just this gagouche thing that we none of us had ever heard before, and it sounded like Jean-Claude Vanier, mm. Mm. Michel Colombia. It sounded like the biggest French or Italian Nikolai sounding thing with a heavy plucked bass line, one of the most soulful vocal deliveries ever. And it, to this day, it stands as like a top three records of all time, never mm. mind Finders Keepers. So that, that gave us the inspiration to, you know, maybe we should do a dedicated gagouche thing. So I got a load of tracks together, put them into Massa's system, and then she came back with a big smile on her face and said, right, these are the ones that are good to go. And I think Massa's ready to do the next volume myself you mm. know so mm. it's oh my god what a track <laughs> Thank 
You are listening to 10 Years of Finders, Keepers Records. I'm Pete Mitchell. We have Andy Votel and Doug Shipton. Uh, we're talking through the catalogue, something like 250 releases and gagoosh. A lot of the detective work around all our Iranian stuff was LA-based, mm. you know. Me and Sean Canty from Demdite Stare mm-hmm. had gone over to LA to do some gigs. I think Sean had just come as a, to, to buy records and hang out at mm. that stage. I don't even know if Demdite Stare had founded. Maybe, maybe, maybe it had. While we were there, I made it top priority to dig out the phone book and find someone who I'd been chatting to, conversing with, like you know, maybe trying to strike a deal with. And it was a woman called Stevie Gear, and she was the widow of this amazing, like elusive conceptual pop composer called Don Gear, who released a few records. He wrote stuff for this guy, Kurt Boitcher, and he was a ghostwriter for for David Gates from, mm, from Bread. Bread. Yeah. And, and he also was involved in this big classic breakbeat trap by Kid Dynamite, mm. and uh, which Ultimate Breaks and Beats fans will be well aware of. But he also did the soundtrack music to two films, a women in prison classic, that's Whip, for all friends of, <laughs> friends of the genre, <laughs> called Sweet Sugar. A classic by whose standards? I know, exactly, yeah. You know, people who have prisoner cell block H. They don't know that. And the fantastically titled film Werewolves on Wheels. Ten years of Finders Keepers Records an alternative history of music.
You're listening to the Finders Keepers 10-year special. This is part three with Andy Votel and Doug Shipton. I'm just a passenger. You are nothing short of a psychiatrist just and we're a on your passenger. Car. Now, that sounds interesting. The story of werewolves on wheels. There's a lot of explaining to do here. There's a, there's a bigger story. There's a bigger I, picture. I mean, the title... Of the, yeah. of the of the film pretty much explains the entire plot. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's just one of those horror biker things like Psychomania or Stone or yeah. you know. There's, I mean, we we half toyed with a, a concept called Cock Diesel, which was going to be a dedicated label. Really? I'd like to see the uh, the design of that on the front cover. Then. Well, it's yeah. a good, isn't it? it yeah. Exists. Yeah. yeah. Oh, does yeah. it? Yeah. Oh. Psychomania fans uh, stand up and be counted. Yeah. I mean, this was a record which never got released. You know, one of the sad things was, as you do niceties in emails, I spoke to the director first and I signed off with everything I hope everything's all well with you and he came back and said yeah we can do this and in answer to your question sadly it's not I'm, I'm dying of cancer Whoa. and by the time the record uh, dear, came dear. out he, 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 he sadly passed away but we're very good friends with the composer's wife widow Stevie Gear. when we went to her house she bought downstairs a box of acetates while looking for one record and our sniffer dog sensibilities took us to a whole other bunch of what the hell's that other one, what's under there, mm. what's in the attic, yeah. which turned into another another album by Don and Stevie, like a husband and wife record, which had never seen the light of day. But Werewolves on Wheels hadn't been released. It was beyond a rare record, but then what was sadly quite ironic and followed this situation is the day we got the finished copies back from the plant, mm. the London riots that happened four or five years ago took an entire warehouse of vinyl records and the werewolves on wheels were burnt to a crisp yeah so it is officially our rarest release it was a very unique problem for finders keepers because there's a lot of warehouses with records in full of dead stock but with finders keepers there's nothing there's not such thing as dead stock dead stock's our middle name jean-claude vanier that we reissued 11 years ago Mm. still sells as many now as it did then. Dead stock doesn't exist. What did you lose in the, the fire? We lost everything. Everything? We lost all our records, and, and they, were, they were all current records. Them, those right. records are still current. So there's a, there was a big gap in scheduling then for a, for a while? Luckily, I mean, you know, our mail order situation's changed a lot now, and a lot of stuff comes through the, through the office. Record distribution in the last five years even has changed a lot. Mm. But we would keep about 10% back in the office right. to run the mail order. So we woke up one morning and that's all we had left and that was a big deal for us there was records like uh, life is dance and a whole new jean-claude vanier campaign ready to roll ready you know to come out and mm. it just we, mm. were, we were nothing short of castrated so we did this subscription series called make do and mend which was compiled by various leading lights of popular culture such as david holmes and jarvis cocker griff reese 10 volumes of their personal favourite Finders Keepers catalogue mm. releases in small CD covers which could be turned around pretty quickly and they saved our bacon. Everybody grouped together and we pretty much, you know, got up on our feet a lot quicker than we originally thought, Absolutely, thought we would. Yeah. But there were a lot of small labels out there who, you know, the insurance for that that, that, that big problem took a long time to come through. And a lot of, yeah. we, we, Over a, a year. Yeah, and mm. we, we, a lot of labels just stopped, just yeah. ended. You know, mm, mm. I dare say a lot of labels were quite happy to sit around and wait for that insurance money to to come through. And you uh, know, it was a fight as well. Mm. Yeah, so not just the, the guys who helped compile those records, but the the support we got from so the the finders keepers communities, the fan base and beyond was 
overwhelming. It was crazy. And without all of that help, mm. we'd have, uh, I think we'd have floundered, to when did be honest. You, when did you twig it was your warehouse? Um, actually, I... Uh, living You're watching the music. In, Hang on a minute. There's records going up here. Whoa. Cool. Yeah, no. Living in south-east London, yeah. um, I was kind of... Uh, I wouldn't say I was in... In the, in the eye of it, but it was all going on around me. So I, I went to bed with buses burning up the road and all sorts. Uh, I woke up with the, the news still on, on, on the TV, and it happened to be Sony Warehouse in North London on fire, and I knew exactly that was... That was that. I, I knew right then that was us, yeah. Uh, uh, I think I got straight on the phone to Andy and Dom, and we just had to sort of play it out, because obviously information was so slow in coming, and everyone was trying to sort of figure out what was going on. It was, yeah, mild panic stations, yes. I mean, I mean, there, there were other companies that, that with warehouses that got burnt, so, so, and other things, and you were getting through the news that everything had been destroyed. I mean, you could watch, you could you, you could, could see you it. Could yeah. see it. Yeah, yeah. So it I do what, remember the thing being on fire, yeah, yeah. I distinctly remember thinking at about 7 o'clock in the morning, is Jarvis Cocker awake yet? Because I need to ring him to yeah. do this thing. Because yeah. we were straight off the bat, we were just like, "Listen, we've got to do something. Stage. We've yeah. got to do something straight away." Yeah. Just you know, you know. By the end of that day, the first day, we had the first one compiled. And Did then, you? Yeah, and I mean, well done. All we were doing was asking people for the ten. Like the blitz spirit or something, that isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's what's called make do amend, yeah. wasn't it? So yeah. it was, you know, yeah. that was the yeah. that was yeah. that was the vibe. But oh god, if it wasn't for all those people helping us, like all the people who all all the people who continued to buy Finders Keepers records at that point, mm. was, absolutely, um, yeah, yeah. Mm. it was uh, amazing. You know, I mean, and it's their label as much as it's ours because you know Finders yeah. Keepers is 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 a frame of mind. So it wasn't all over in a, a couple of days. This was would have gone on for months and months, getting you back on your feet and the, you know the label could have gone under but you managed to survive and, and just get on yeah. with it as Andy said we, we had a whole slate of releases ready to go in the warehouse ready to drop and this and the fire obviously put us back by quite a few months but we sort of scrabbled around managed to get back on track but you know from the flames rose the phoenix and life mm. and life is dance was the aptly named compilation that we released next was was us going back to familiar territory you know and it was the uh, second lollywood compilation that we did with chris and the music that flew off the needle was nothing less than euphoric <laughs> नहीं नाचता 
कोई जरूरत के लिए और कोई दौलत के लिए और किसी को मजबूरी न चाहती है नाचता है और कोई अंगारों पे नाचता है नौकर मालिक के इशारों पे नाचता है बेचारा चांद रात भर सितारों पे नाचता है कोई जमाने के लिए कोई दिखाने के लिए और कोई यार मनाने के लिए You are listening to 10 Years of Finders Keepers Records, Part 3, Life is a Dance. Nazir Ali featuring uh, Nahid Akhtar and uh, Menaz. We needed that. We needed we needed life in our dance, you know. I mean, at this point, like, um, mm. you know, it was, uh, it was difficult for anyone to get... Everyone was trying to restock with records, so you couldn't get records It is what anyway. I mean, even having this conversation, it's... It, well, it's a business, isn't it? It's a livelihood. I think people forget that it's only a couple of records, but it's a livelihood and many mouths to feed around the, around the uh, your little sort of cottage industry. Well, you well, know? One, yeah. One thing I will say: people often say, "Bloody, how do you, how do you how do you do all that? How do you do all them notes? How do you do that detective work? How do you get so many records out?" People are often criticising us, saying <laughs> we can't keep up. Yeah. Um, the answer is, it's really hard work. We're doing it twenty-four yeah. hours a day, and we don't find it easy. I find it really 
difficult because it's time consuming but it's very 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 enjoyable and rewarding so the, um, absolutely yeah. rewarding it's a massive gamble yeah it was putting out a couple of records we have to do this full time now yeah. i didn't think i'd have a full-time job i yeah. remember i used to pride myself on i had a different job every day of the week you know yeah, yeah. when your auntie says what do you do for a living it'd be like well on monday i'm the designer on tuesday yeah. i do yeah. radio and it's that's how it changed mm, you know mm. but now for me and doug it's finders keepers full time it will be interesting though when you get to 20 years i wonder what the story of the next decade will tell i don't know yeah, it'll be there somewhere. There'll be a story within that next decade. I mean, there were definitely there were, there were cracks starting to d- develop within the label, though. I mean, around this time, our tastes were changing, you know, a little bit as mm. well. And even mine, me and Doug, we, you know, we had differences in opinion. But the financial setbacks yeah, do, yeah. and, and mm. not being able to get stuff made quick enough, and you know, various things, it wasn't. Long. Well, we didn't even know if we'd be we'd still be doing it come the end of the year. Absolutely, with, yeah. With how it yeah. was going? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It was very, very. And it's not as you can go to the bank manager and say, give us a bit of an advance to get us over this tricky patch, is it? No, you couldn't. Oh, well, you can't we, do it. We yeah. tried, but they never called me back. I remember having fantasies of, of me and Dom going into the uh, going into the bank in Manchester and it being like a scene with uh, a crush groove with Rick Rubin and uh, Russell Simmons having a rap to the yeah. guy behind the counter going, this is what rap music sounds yeah. like. It was like totally like uncharted territory. Oh, yeah, we, we want to release some Turkish protest music to get yeah. us back on track. Really, do you? Just like the big boot comes out the, yeah, the bouncers yeah, yeah. get get call security there's someone downstairs I thought, you were, <laughs> thought you were going down a dog day afternoon route there Andy <laughs> pretty much that's what it turned to by the yeah. end of the year but it wasn't it wasn't long before Dom told us that he was leaving the company mm. and you know we had to reschedule a whole number of things and you know we had to make some big decisions which were going to be difficult within the company but we did return back to a very comfortable place and a very good friend and let's say ambassador mascot the godfather of finders keepers which was jean-claude vanier and for our 50th release we went back to a project which had been running for a long time because basically it was within it was within our inbuilt sensibilities to buy any record which had jcv written on it so Mm. it was just like jean-claude vanier we'd amassed a pulsating treasure trove of, of, of Jean-Claude Vanier unheard material that could possibly make up a, an album's worth of material and inspired by a photo of him in front of an old factory with the words Electro Rapide emblazoned above the door frame. we released a Jean-Claude Vanier anthology with that very title. Ten years of Finders Keepers Records an alternative history of music.
This is 10 years of Finders Keepers Records. Uh, Release number 50 from the album Electro Rapide, uh, Le Giraffe au Ballon, from Jean-Claude Vanier. So, the uh, the ultimate record on uh, part three of uh, the History of Finders Keepers Records, ten years in the making. Is that right? Ten years or ten and a half years in the making now? Well, the label thus far is, yeah, about uh, almost 11 years old. Congratulations. Why, thank you. Yeah. Vanier, always an important artist for the label and always w- will remain so, I expect, even though, uh, you know, you'll go on and on. And it, it was interesting that the, the whole story began with Jean-Claude Vanier, didn't it, Doug, and your, your search well, yeah. to track the guy down? I'd say friend as opposed to one of our artists. Mm, um, mm. We spent many a year drinking, partying, conversing with him on, on sort of every level. Uh. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like when we first met Jean-Claude, uh, we hark back to the first episode of this uh, mm. this 10-year anniversary, what, what thus far is a trilogy. He couldn't speak a word of English. We spoke to his daughter, and his daughter said to him, next time you come and meet him, he'll be able to speak the Queen's well, English. Good. And by the time we released Electro Rapide... <laughs> Without hesitation, he could speak better English than me. Wow. So you know, he's mm. uh, yeah. Uh, we'd done the thing at the Barbican with him. We'd we'd hosted the first ever ever live performance of Histoire de Melody Nelson with a lot of the original session musicians, you know, and people like Bridget Fontaine. John Claude was starting to work with some of the old KPM guys again, mm. and we'd facilitated that. He did an album under his own steam, recorded with Herbie Flowers, Dougie Wright, Vic Flick, which which he offered for, to us to release on Twisted Nerve, which was, you know, the distinction being Twisted Nerve being our pre-existing Precursor label to, yeah, of yeah. contemporary music, mm. whereas mm. Finders Keepers is archival music so it seemed like a great home for it so we did that we released a nice box set which included three of his albums and it all worked out worked out wonderfully but yeah and that's what happened around the 55th that was FKR 050 yeah and an act to finish to part three there's uh, plenty more to come maybe two or three more episodes do you see about six we'll uh, get to did you by your basic yeah Arithmetic. Yeah, why don't you well, ask, Ray, if, ask Rain Man? He knows. Well, so if they're taking this long, we'll, uh, we'll have to keep going <laughs> indefinitely. It has been a mammoth the conversation, yeah. I have to say. Further details, finderskeepers.com. The other radio shows are available on uh, iTunes and uh, SoundCloud and Mixcloud. One thing I would like to ask people to do is comment. If yeah. I would really, really appreciate it. But good, good you, bad, or indifferent, you don't care? Good, bad, indifferent, just leave some comments, but keep the indifferent and the bad ones off. <laughs> <laughs> That's not democracy at work. No, it's not. No, no, not at all. And keep uh, in touch with us via Twitter and Instagram. Um, We have at Pete Mitchell DJ at Twitter. We have at Doug Shipton. We have at Andy Votel. And at at Keepers Keepers Finders. Finders. Yeah, yeah, plenty more. Get in touch. Follow. Follow and we'll follow you back. Breaking boundaries before breaking even. Ten years of Finders Keepers Records. Hello? Hello? Pete? Andy? Hello? Doug? I'll just be waiting here in space, guys, I guess. You uh, feel it within your souls that you should return to pick up a old friend. <laughs> <laughs>